With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the Anonymous Eagle podcast. I'm Patrick Leary, uh, joined as always by my co-host Sam Newberry. Sam, did you get your free shake from last night's game? I didn't, which is hilarious because I live on the walk to and from Shake Shack. That's really that's really disappointing, dude. You have to cash in. That was I've like gotta be smarter than that. That that was like a like a signature moment of the Marquette season so far. Um, all the good games that matter have been on the road or neutral, and uh, so t- for the crowd to erupt in a fury that had yet to be displayed thus far uh, in any of the games against these crappy low major teams that they've been playing it was was simply astounding if you don't know what we're talking about um well as i say it's we're up to shake shack counter is now two yeah right well i correct me if i'm wrong so what was the what was which game was the, first? was the first okay one. but it wasn't anything like that right because i was there was, was it wasn't it? that crazy no that's what i was gonna say so if, if people don't know what we're referring to um there's a weird obscure promotion that shake shack decided to put together this year um where in the last 10 minutes of a Marquette game, if the op- opponent misses two free throws consecutively, uh, the entire uh, group in attendance gets a free small shake from Shake Shack. And I guess it was probably buoyed by the fact that it had happened against Bethune-Cookman, that when the first Charleston Southern free throw shooter went to the line, the whole student section started chanting sh- uh, free shake at them. And then... Once he missed the first one, the whole place started just like yelling and making noise, and I I'd imagine the dude just had no idea what he was dealing with because they were down like fifteen points with like eight minutes left in a game that they had no chance to win. And like the student section yeah. and the crowd hadn't been loud before. No, that. it was like easily the loudest they'd been all night. It was just, and he misses the second, and the whole place erupts, and it was just like. In a season that hasn't had any sort of good home games yet, it was actually very hilarious to see a, a sparse uh, Tuesday night crowd get that into some random thing like that. But I was, I was still very, very heartened by it. And um, shout out to uh, Eric Ebby on Twitter saying uh, that uh, uh, it was the best moment of his senior year so far. I just thought that I thought that was hilarious, and just it's good to see uh, Marquette's uh, student section getting excited about something, uh, whether. Whether or not it's they can get excited about a Charleston Southern game on a Tuesday night, but anyway, uh, we have not potted in a fair amount of time. I think it's been about ten days since we've put anything out at this point. Um, so we were thinking instead of recapping Kansas and Louisville, we will get plenty of Kansas and Louisville talk um, into tonight's uh, podcast. And instead of doing any sort of deep dive on a game against Charleston Southern on Tuesday night. Um, we're going to run down um, the offense, defense, and then player by player uh, so far this season, just to sort of give a, a blood pressure check to uh, take the uh, Mark, official Marquette Twitter's uh, favorite uh, slogan for the basketball. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, we're going to just take a little blood pressure check on uh, all the members of the roster and the offense and defense and uh, just sort of give our thoughts on what we've seen so far in the first seven games as we head 
into uh, the meat of the non-conference with these two huge home games coming up um, in the next two Saturdays. And then um, Buffalo, still a big game looming uh, right around Christmas time. But I think we've got, um, you know, still a small sample size, but we've got enough of a sample size to we can at least sort of talk about what this team is like right now. Um, so starting with the offense, um, which is choosing probably the pessimistic uh, half to start with, shockingly. Yeah, who would have thought? Um, the offense had, is still uh, ranked 25 by Ken Palm. Uh, Ken Palm uh, tends to be, uh, at this point of the season especially, part predictive, part um, uh, statistic, accumulated statistic-based. Because if you look at the four factors uh, that Ken Palm uses, uh, Marquette uh, has the 132nd ranked effective field goal percentage in the country uh, and 248th ranked turnover percentage in oh, the country. Gross. The turnover percentage is gross. The effective field goal percentage is, like, by comparison gross is how I would say it. Marquette's usually a very, very good shooting team um, and are not are proving to be just sort of average so far this year. Well, they've been like a top 10 three-point shooting team for the last couple right. of years, and they're 80th right now. Right, so. yeah, and 37% as a team, um, you're accustomed to that number being in the 40s easily. Um, or and, closer to 40 than it is yeah, right Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I guess the biggest uh, thing I'll start with with the offense is the team's just not shooting as well. Um, and... I suppose um, that's a factor of a lot of things. Um, I think we can, if you want to get into it now, I, Payne Touch's article today was very illuminating um, about uh, the headline being Markets Transition Offense Plummets. Um, and it's all about basically how when we thought going into this season the defense needed to post a jump, and we'll get to that in a second because it definitely has. Um, we just assumed the offense would be elite. And I think you and I have sort of had this conversation a couple of times, whether we've recorded it or not, um, about how, hey, wait, we kind of assumed this offense would just be fine, and you know maybe it's not. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with Andrew Rousey. The Paint Touches article today um, talked about how Marquette has completely regressed um, in its transition offense. Um, in years past, uh, they've had at least three players scoring um, over a point per possession um, in transition, um, including guys like Jawan Johnson or Caton Reinhardt, Hanif Cheatham, uh, especially Andrew Rousey last year. Um, Marcus Howard is the only one they have doing that so far this year. But beyond Marcus Howard, it's like Sam Hauser and then a, a just it falls off a cliff. And Sam's numbers aren't even that Good. Good. Like, I mean, they're 26 percentile, which is not, you know, that's not, like, relevant at all. Um, it's, you know, Sam is, uh, yeah, and I don't think anyone would say Sam is, like, a, an effective transition scorer uh, when he's not pulling up from three. Like, I mean, we saw a couple times last night against Charleston Southern, he was just... Uh, Terrible at the rim. Yeah, couldn't finish at the rim on a fast break. I mean, he he was contested, but it wasn't like he wasn't even getting fouls. He was just not finishing. Yeah, and I guess what this goes to is Marquette used to be a lethal team in transition, and they're just simply not this year. Um, 
and it, again, small sample size, seven games. Um, but it begin you begin to worry whether um, the offense will legitimately significantly regress just because uh, the shots aren't coming as easy this year. Um, I guess what I would say is um, my feeling right now about Andrew Rousey is that as a general fan base, we probably accurately assessed the effect he would have uh, on the team's defense, but completely underestimated the effect that he would have on the team's offense because I think we... um, I don't know if we overrated Joseph Chartuni's impact, but I guess we probably definitely overrated how difficult or underrated how difficult it would be for Marcus to transition to a full-time on-ball, um, no Rousey role on offense. I mean, that's fair to say, don't you think? I mean, yeah, I just, we we don't really have a point guard. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's weird to say that because, I mean, Marcus Howard's assist rate, 33 uh, he's 68th in the nation. Like, right. No, good, definitely a yeah, good passer. Yeah, it's not that he's been passing better. It's, and I think that Paint Touches article is really illuminating because most of our really bad turnovers has come off of really bad transition. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll throw it away or we get it picked off in transition. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I think the bigger question I have with this offense is just, you know, we're, we're turning it over at a miserable Twenty point eight percent of our possessions have end in turnovers. You, you, that's not sustainable, and right, you know we can hopefully talk, not sustainable in a way that they can't possibly keep that up. Yeah, well, that's what I'm getting <laughs> at. Is that like that's not something that you can win games. Right. To, like I know that's what yeah. you meant, but I also hope it's not sustainable in the way that it's not possible for no, them kidding. to possibly continue it. Yeah. But like they've been pretty decent on the offensive boards. I mean, mm-hmm. they've been. Well above, not well above, I guess, but above the D1 average. They're above the D1 average um, for effective field goal percentage. I mean, this is still a jump shooting team. There's not a bunch of slashers. Yeah. So the free throws attempted to field goal attempted was always going to be low for this team. Right. Um, and, you know, they're shooting fine from three. They're shooting poorer from two. But, but I mean, they're not shooting at the level we'd want them to from three, though. I mean, this no. is a team with, like, with two of the best shooters in the entire country and um, and one of them is having a good shooting season. Yeah. So you'd like want them to have that number over 37. But I guess um, we might just have to adjust to a new reality of Marquette being good to great instead of great to amazing offensively. Yeah, um, I suppose. I, I, I think that there are there's still room for improvement. I mean... I, one thing I do think is that this team has a lot of um, different way, different ways to score the ball available to them that they may not have had in the last uh, few years just because Rousey and Howard um, and, and Hauser scored in such similar ways. Um, I think Theo John um, offers better interior scoring than the team has really had um, in a long time. Um, when he When he's... You know, I guess the fully fleshed out Theo John has that um, possibility. I mean, I guess he was he he struggled in an, on a number of in a number of points, but like a guy like Joey Hauser hasn't existed in the past. Joey Hauser scores in very similar ways to say like a Henry Ellenson did, um, and having that um, on a team where that's not your primary option is very intriguing. Yeah, um, and Joseph Chartuni, I think, is really coming along. 
Um, He's finally getting there. Yeah, it's really good to see. That's been a big, I would say since the end of the Presbyterian game, since that came out, came yeah. along, that's been a big improvement for the offense. Yeah. But I guess just as a whole, um, tying it together, is the offensive reality of this team. Um, I, I just don't think at present, unless a lot changes, that they can reach um, the heights that they've been at the last two years. I don't know if we necessarily expected that, but I do recall the numbers that a lot of the preseason um, calculations were spitting out were still right in the range of what they've been the last two years, and I just don't think that's possible without Andrew Rousey. I Yeah, I agree. I mean... The offensive firepower is still there for this to be at worst like a top fifty offense. Like, yeah. like this should be at worst. I think it 50. will be. I, I mean, I guess we'll see. But they haven't been playing like it right no. now. No, and that needs to be something that gets figured out before we go forward. Right. I um, agree with that. But on the flip side, somehow the defense has been okay. The defense is like just like watching them is so much more uh, comfortable. I guess, in that regard, just because you don't, like, they're, with the exception, I guess, of the Kansas uh, 22-0 spurt, which I'm sure we'll reference. 24 nothing. Excuse me, that's right, because the two points uh, before that, um, before, before the half, right? It was 22 nothing to start the half, but 24 overall. Um, but, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess just watching them and knowing that they're going to be able to get consecutive stops every once in a while is just a new reality that I really enjoy. Um, and last night, I mean, uh, Charleston Southern, um, you know, Charleston Southern, again, not a great team. They're about an average um, non uh, non power conference team. Uh, Ken Palm has them at, yeah. uh, had them at 216 coming in, has them at 221 now. Um, but again, there were just stretches where uh, they. They couldn't get any good shots. And it might have been a factor of the fact that their offense isn't that good. They don't have a lot of creators. But there have been stretches where Marquette just doesn't give, give up good shots. And it's really, really nice to see um, that, again, it, I don't know. Have, have any of the players really improved that much on the defensive end. I guess Theo John's maybe fouling a little bit less, but, like, not a ton. I mean, he's he's also finally becoming, like, a very good rim protector. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not he's not an elite rim protector, but very good. He's doing better, and Ed Morrow's a pretty decent rim protector when he's on cooperating yeah. and not being all arms and legs, as we'll probably get to when we talk about him. Um, but I guess just overall, the defense is just much more unified. I mean, the big number, I guess it stands out to me, there are two big numbers. It's the effective field goal percentage, 43.5, which is 16th in the nation so far this season. And that's factoring in, like, a game against Indiana where they got absolutely blitzed and that half against Kansas where Kansas just absolutely laid it onto them and they're still 16th in the country. Yeah. That's insane. That's, that's like, insane progress. And, and the wild thing is, it's not like they're turning a lot of people over. Right. I mean, you know, they're only turning people over 16% of the time, really. And that's bad. Yeah, Yeah, that's not really good. And, you know, it's not a Juwan Johnson or Joseph Chartouni, I guess, now in this case. Like, getting steals, it's not, um, you know, it's not like elite-level rim protectors. It's not 
elite level perimeter defenders. They're just solidly defending as a team. Joseph Chartuni having seven steals last night warmed my heart. That was amazing. Yes. He was he was just like it's almost like he decided cuz correct me if I'm wrong but I'm and I'm pulling it up right now. Yeah. So he did one steal in all the games before that. And he finally is like, "Oh, it's like he remembered that Wait, he I'm was good at this." Yeah, he remembered that he was the believe well, he was second. He was the D one leader in steals rate in twenty seventeen, and was second in twenty eighteen. Yeah. And it's like he remembered that that's what he's good at, and that's what he does. And he's like, oh, "I'm going to start doing this again." And he just goes for seven in that game. That's amazing. I think the two big numbers that really stand out to me um, for the defense, at least, uh, you know, I said we didn't have elite level rim protectors, but we're seventy sixth in the nation block percentage. That's solid. So we we just have guys that can defend up and down. So like Brendan Bailey or. Joey Hauser or yeah. uh, Ed Morrow or Theo John can all play, like move their feet and still get blocks on people. Um, and then we're 12th in the nation at two point percentage, two point field goal percentage allowed. Yeah, I mean, that's the yeah. big one for me is that stat. That's that's incredible. Um, two then, point percentage, just uh, for reference, uh, last year Marquette uh, was three hundred fourth in the nation in that category. Yeah, yeah. and so like for example, <laughs> even in like the Louisville game, you know, Louisville went twenty of forty nine from two. That's forty one percent. That like that was not anywhere in the realm of possibility right. last year. Absolutely not. Um, and you know, even you, that's mixing in bad games against Indiana and Kansas. That's that's why I like these small sample size stats with the defense uh, now makes me comfortable that okay, this defense is already very improved. Um, I don't know. Are there any? Do you have any? I guess the turnover percentage should improve defensively. Um, the like turnover percentage like, offensively should improve. Well, yeah. Um, but is there any uh, you know points of the defense that you're concerned about right now? I think. I mean, Marcus Howard. He is what he is defensively. Um, I haven't been disappointed with him at all defensively. I think he's delivered exactly up to his uh, physical potential as a defender so far this year. Um, I, I don't know. I haven't really been uh, down on anyone. I mean, they need to avoid having Sam Hauser get switched on to guard still. Yeah. But that's not going to change. I think more than anything this year is that this defense knows its weak points. So, yeah. like, we know Sam Hauser's not going to be able to guard people like Romeo Langford. We know Joey <laughs> Hauser's not going to be able to guard more athletic wings. Like, I think they really have, have started to figure out at least, like, yeah, so we might harp on Wojo's switching, we might harp on stuff like that, but they're finally starting to figure stuff like that out. Where yeah. it's like, hey, you know, we're going to have to not switch as much as Wojo wants to because we know Sam can't guard athletic shooting guards or threes. Yeah. Like, that's just how it is. And I think that as long as we're okay with sort of playing outside of the desired scheme and more towards what our pieces can actually do, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, the defense is going to at some point regress a little bit sure. but we said well, i mean the schedule is going to get tougher yeah. so they're probably gonna but you know like we said at the beginning of the season you know granted we were expecting a much better offense at the beginning of the season right. but we said you know maybe a top 100 defense would be adequate yeah i think that we're we're going to need a top 50 offense yeah but i think if we can have a top 75 defense right. which looks very possible mm-hmm there shouldn't be any cause for concern right. going forward. Like, yeah, it's going to get tougher. You're going to start seeing better players. Um, so that, that this really good number is going to go away at some point. But it's sure. not going to be bad. 
No. I, I Yeah. And I guess here's the one nit I'll pick with the defense is Theo John, you're right, as a rim protector, just to put that in context, 11% block percentage uh, is 36 in the country. So he has really improved as a rim protector. Um, I guess the one thing I'll say, though, is that they don't have a guy that they can put on a Romeo Langford. True. Sakara Anim is probably the guy that they go with at this point. Um, like, I don't know. Sakar is fine as a defender. Um, but I just, and again, this is a really weird recent example, but I just remember uh, whenever Sandy Cohen was at Marquette and they would play Wisconsin, yeah. they'd put Sandy Cohen on Nigel Hayes and Sandy Cohen would shut him down. What yeah. they don't have is a lockdown perimeter defender. What the what the numbers are showing you is a solid team defense, whereas they don't have a person that they can put on, again, to use that example, Romeo Langford. Um, if they're playing a team like St. John's, who they'll play twice, who has an elite guard like Shamori Pons. And Mustafa Heron, too, but we'll talk, yeah. we'll talk Pons. Well, yeah. Pons being just the best example in the Big East of just a dominant perimeter player that would require uh, an elite defender. They don't have a guy to do that. So I guess that would be my one concern is um, if they continue to run into um, sort of elite uh, perimeter players, they don't have a guy that can really lock one down. But I guess that's picking nits at this point when the team defense has progressed so much uh, in just a year. Um, so I don't know. Do you want to get into the uh, breakdown, uh, individual breakdown for uh, at this point? Sure. Okay, so uh, we're going to just do this in order of the guys that are playing the most minutes, um, which is great because that means we'll end on a on a somber yet yet uh, optimistic note um, yeah. with our, our dearest milkman. Um, but uh, so at this point, uh, Marcus Howard obviously would be the starting point here. Marcus is playing 35 minutes a game. He's averaging 19.5 points, five rebounds, and five assists. Um, I guess the numbers that we'll probably start our discussion here with Marcus are his um, 36% shooting from beyond the arc, um, which uh, is underwhelming, to say the least, um, but maybe not a factor of poor shooting, more a factor of poor shot selection or lack of shot selection uh, within the offense. Um, and then uh, overall shooting 40%, uh, just take over 40% from the field, 46%. Um, from inside of the arc, um, and for context, that is uh, more in line with what he did freshman year than sophomore year. Um, just for for uh, those wondering, he uh, was a 45-54 inside-outside shooter as a freshman, but was a 53-40 inside-outside shooter as a sophomore. So now, obviously, he's... Um, not regressed, I wouldn't say it regress, call it regression yet, but he's not shooting at the same clip from outside the arc, um, and he's sort of finding a somewhat of a median um, in the other areas of the court. Um, so, I don't know, how do you feel just generally, um, and we can sort of dig down into the stats, you can dig down into the stats as much as you want, um, about how Marcus has played so far this year. I mean, he's been kind of what we expected Offensively, um, you know, a firecracker and go off at any particular moment. You know, I mean, there was the game where we all thought he was just going to go for 50. Yeah. Like, he could have. They yeah. took him out with like 10 minutes left. Yeah. And, like, Marcus Howard is still going to be one of the most 
dangerous offensive threats in college basketball. Sure. Except he's been turning the ball over way too much for my taste. Um, and I, you know, that comes back to us turning it over in transition. Um, a lot of that is what, to me at least, I test wise, um, looks to be a lot of thrown away passes or bad passes. Trying. To yeah, I test yeah. wise, I would say he makes. He's been making a lot of passes that while I'm just sitting there watching the game, whether in the arena or on TV, I'm just, what are you throwing that pass yeah. for? And it, it, they're mainly in transition. He's been fine passing in the half court yeah. sets, like. Um, and I think that's kind of a big team emphasis is that uh, I've been chanting to myself in my seat as we've been coming down on transition, like, don't pass it, don't pass it, get it across, start a set. Like, we are a very good half-court set team. Um, we don't need to, you know, push that pace too hard. Yeah, Do we need to probably be better in transition than we are right now? Yes, and that comes from making better passes. Mm-hmm. But, ugh, man, I think that's my only real knock against Marcus is that um, besides some nights where he just completely disappears from three, um, I mean, you would think that comes back into, you know, probably ending up around 40, 41, 42% by the end of the season. Like, yeah, you would think that, you know, returns to normal. Um, but I, I think my only knock against him has been his turnovers. Yeah. Well, okay, so my concern with his shooting, um, first of all, he's just had games where I'm just like, this guy is lacking a little bit of confidence right now. Like last night, I mean, 5 of 14 from 3. Um, just was missing a lot of open looks. He was missing all kinds of shots. Yeah. Like forced, uh, difficult, um, somewhat open, completely open. He was running the gamut with his misses. And that kind of um, worries me a little bit. Because I, I think um, a lot of his early season struggles have been a factor of um, he's not getting the kind of looks uh, he is accustomed to getting because he's had to play off the ball a lot more, or excuse me, on the ball a lot more, um, with Rousey not there and Chartouni um, not fully uh, ingratiated into the lineup as of yet. Um, and so that worries me a little bit, just like will his quality of shot regress? Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to complain about Marcus Howard. Like, he's the best. He's like, yeah. he's just the dream program guy. And so, even if he's having some early season struggles where he, um, again, yeah, turning the ball over, that's been a problem for him. Um, I hated how he's disappeared in a number of games. Um, Presbyterian being one, Louisville being the one that really worried me for a while until he put the paddles on that game and, yeah. and got him back. Um, but yeah, I, it's hard for me to pick nits with Marcus Howard, but I guess I would just say um, I'm a little worried that it's going to take him some time to develop, uh, to get used to uh, the not having Andrew Rousey play next to him, um, which I don't think we really thought it would be much of a transition for him. And I guess we're sort of the theme of um, what Marquette Twitter thought about Marquette going into the season so far and how it's looked is that we've sort of just underestimated the difficulty the offense would have, and I think that extends to what how I feel about Marcus. Yeah, I think my biggest, I mean, besides the turnovers, um, you know, last year Andrew Rousey was the guy. I mean, like, Marcus Howard was lethal and Sam Hauser mm-hmm. was lethal, but Rousey was the guy that was going to make the ridiculous shots, yeah. and Rousey was the guy that was going to make things happen. I mean, 
you know, the thing amongst others. Like, yeah. Rousey was always going to be the, the focal point of our offense last year. Mm-hmm. Marcus is trying to step into that role, and I'm not saying he's getting too confident with it. I'm not saying he shouldn't be trying to step into that role. Mm-hmm. He just definitely is trying to force it too much sometimes. Sure. And he's like, well, I am our playmaker. I am our, you know, our our guy now. I am our focal point. Um, and, I mean, he's looked the best when he's let the offense come to him and when he's let the team around him create for him, too. Yeah. And when he's trying too hard to be the go-to guy, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a problem. I would say on that note, I'd like him to sort of reestablish his rhythm naturally as opposed to sort of forcing his rhythm to come back to him. Yes, I agree. Um, if he can sort of get hot again um, in the flow of the offense, I think that that will sort of allow him to start forcing things because I, while I, I don't think, you know, anyone should necessarily force things, I think if someone's going to force stuff when you need it to be forced, it's going to be him. Yeah. And he needs to sort of reestablish his uh, overall confidence to be able to do that. But, and again, I think we briefly touched on him as a defender. He is what he is as a defender. Um, I think he gives his 100% effort and um, has decent uh, sense um, of how of where to be defensively, which, again, is the massive upgrade over Rousey, who was one of the worst collegiate defenders I can... I can remember. Well, you're not wrong. No, he was so bad. Uh, anyway, switching gears, Sam Hauser. Uh, Sam Hauser is perfect. Yep. Uh, Sam Hauser is great. Uh, when Marquette has not had a clear approach on offense um, in a di- difficult, challenging spots, Sam Hauser is just capable of making a three in the rhythm of the offense whenever whenever he's needed to be called upon. Um He's uh pull his shooting stats up so far this season. Um, he you know he's not shooting um a high enough a higher a percentage as high as he shot the first two years, um, but his shot percentage is considerably higher as in his usage rate um, ending uh, in a shot, uh, and I mean it needs to be higher. Yeah. Like that's been the knock on Sam for the first few years. This his usage rate has not nearly justified the way he shot the ball and now like he's he's back like from a usage rate standpoint he's posted the highest numbers he's had in his career uh just for for concept um possession wise um his first two years he was at 13 and 18 he's now at 20 so far this year uh shot wise he's been at 16 and 20 he's now 26 so i mean that usage is obviously going to knock his percentages down a little bit but thank god that usage is higher because there have been times when there's been absolutely nothing working for marquette but sam hauser shooting and i mean he's a gem i he's just he the the smooth way that he gets his shot off and just can absolutely drain it from any spot on the arc is just he's he's such a valuable piece and he again like marcus is such a perfect collegiate player yeah, I mean, I the the only knock you have on Sam is that he's not that good. He he's a, a, a on par average defender at best. Yeah, that's your only knock on him. But he was like, you're you're not bringing him in to play elite right. defense. You're, I think yeah. I think with Sam and I, I think Payne touches if I remember this a few weeks back might have had a thread about how people complaining about Sam Sam defensively is lazy because of how good his defensive sense is, and I think I agree with that. I think the key with Sam is just don't 
get him screened onto an elite attacker of yeah. the basket. Like that's the key is as long as Sam is avoiding these athletic scorers um, on defense, he can contribute in the way he's um, you know built to contribute. Yeah. He's not built to be an exceptional one-on-one on-ball defender, but he can contribute in um, sort of help ways and also um, on you know below average attackers. Sure. And I think that his freshman year he played a lot of the small ball five. Yeah. Which we saw and. Thank God he's not doing that anymore. Yes, but he looked a lot more comfortable defending people bigger than him, but his speed and his athleticism more than he does defending on the wing. So I'm not opposed to getting switches into Sam on bigger players as long as they're not physical freaks that can dominate him. I think that's fine. It's when he has to... We keep going back to Romeo Langford. You could always um, point out... Yeah. You know, like Quentin Grimes or Dedrick Dedrick Lawson or like guys from Kansas that... like present huge matchup problems for him. I mean, for me, the original Sam can't get switched on to um, uh, elite scores was the Shamori Pons against Marquette uh, last February. Um, that was just really rough. And I mean, you saw a little bit of it with Romeo, um, but yeah, I just think as long as he's not getting switched on to elite attackers of the basket, he will be fine as a defender. Yeah. And his offensive value is through yeah. the roof. He's shooting like forty three percent from three. Um, his effective field goal percentage is sixty, right over sixty. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's sixteen points and six yeah. rebounds a game. Like he's he's awesome. invaluable to this team. He's he's yeah. he's the best offense that they have. Like, I know Marcus is probably the best all-around scorer, but Sam, just in the flow of the offense, gets so much... It's amazing to me how open, how many open looks he still gets. Yeah. And that's just a skill thing. Like, he's just smart about how he gets open. Like, this is a really... It's not an insult, trust me. Sam is going to be, in like 25 years, the king of like, YMCA dad ball because he's so smart on the offensive end and he's just going to have every move and every look and every bit of game knowledge to know where to be at all times on the offensive end and like that's like definitely not a knock on his his skill now he's incredible but like yeah. his game knowledge and his offensive awareness for the most part is you know yeah unparalleled on this team um as long as we're on future Sam tangents um i kind of think Sam will be a decent nba player is that like too much of a stretch? I know he's like kind of slow, so maybe defense, but like, like Sam, like I, Kyle Korver is such a lazy comparison because he's just the white shooter guy in the NBA. But it just there's something about how Sam is such a good shooter that I feel like he can figure out how to make it in the NBA, and that by the time he's a senior next year and is continuing to play like this. As long as he stays healthy, I think he might get drafted. I think he might be a, kind of a decent NBA player. That well, I might mean, be a bit of a stretch. We but. have precedent for this in Marquette history because Steve Novak carved out a ten-year NBA career. There's a that's I, true. I think it was, was crack, Steve, Steve Novak. Was he drafted? I don't remember that one, but um, I mean, I think it was Crack Sidewalks did this Twitter thread. But it was who do you think will be you know the NBA player you know parentheses players right? That's the, where I'm where yeah. I'm getting that from. Yeah, and so I th- we have a perfect comparison, Steve Novak. Yes, like I, Sam will carve out a career playing NBA basketball because people will need his shooting. Steve Novak was the second pick of the second round in two thousand six. That yeah. is like a perfect 
like where Sam will get drafted in two Could years, be, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, like I, that. That's a that's a really good comp. Sure. Yeah. All right. Switching gears. Um, are we surprised that Joey Hauser has played? No, we're obviously not surprised at this point. But if you had told us that Joey Hauser would be the third highest minutes uh, player. Um, on this team through seven games, would that have surprised you? I think that would have surprised me. It would have surprised me too. I mean, like after like maybe after like watching him play for twenty minutes, I probably could have told you like, oh no, this yeah. guy's going to be the. Third I think best my player, but. my thing about it is that I would have been surprised and a lot more worried because I would have been like, oh god, have we been playing bad and he has to have minutes type yeah. of thing. I mean, that's well, a little well, bit of it. Well, but, but like, <laughs> yeah, like that would have like, been like, really like, bad. Like a freak out of like, oh god, you know it's. Yeah, he's the only person hitting shots. That's the only reason he's playing minutes. But he's just been no good. Joey's great. Yeah. Joey is Joey. I feel uh, this a similar way about uh, Joey than I do about Sam. It's just, um, I mean, it's obviously different. They are brothers, but they have different styles. Sort of, um, they have similar games in that they're you know big guys that shoot it uh, above average given their height, but. I mean, Joey, everything at this point that Joey's contributing is good. Like, all of his struggles are like, okay, it's fine. It's your first 10 games. Yeah. Like... His his three-point shot will not be as good as Sam's, I think. Uh, it's, correct. It's, it's, it's better than it is right now. It's been not yeah, he's, great He's lately. 6 of 19 from 3 for the year. Yeah. He, he's a better shooter than that. He's just adjusting. That's fine. I'm not worried about it. Sam's the better three-point shooter. Yeah. But Joey has a much better interior game with his back to the basket, and he's much better in, at finishing at the rim, in my opinion. Like, Correct. Sam's good at it, and Sam can take a defender off the dribble and can get his shots, but Sam's more of a jump shooter, more of a, a step-back jumper over a defender, whereas Joey goes more towards the glass. Okay, no, I was right about this. I had a feeling that Joey hasn't been shooting threes very well lately. And I was right. He's missed his last five. He hasn't hit one since the Kansas game, which obviously isn't terrible. Um, but um, I think my biggest—I didn't think he played that well last night at all. No, but my biggest um, not concern. Um, my biggest praise of Joey. He's got a fifty-six point two free throw rate. Yeah, he yes. knows how to yeah. draw contact and get yep. to the line. Yeah, and we haven't really had a Correct. guy his size. That good at it, yeah. In a while, it's totally it's totally true because it's like this team has really been defined by its shooting the last few years and not its ability to get to the line in any sort of unconventional way. And Joey, as a guy that can handle the ball in the perimeter, shoot the three, but also get to the free throw line, like that's not a package that Marquette has really had recently at all. So, no. I mean, it's yeah, that's a, that's really yeah. encouraging. Everything everything is good from Joey. Um, Obviously, he's a freshman, and he's made some freshman mistakes. And he's not an elite defender either. No, and it's more of a matter of his athleticism, because I actually have liked um, how he uses his length in a lot of defensive situations. It's just he can't really stay with anybody at this point because he's just kind of like a... He's just kind of a six nine white guy. Like he's not. Yeah, he he's a better defender than Sam is, but I think most of that comes from the fact, correct, that Joey is just naturally guarding bigger, slower guys. Right. And he's got longer arms. Yeah, and he's got longer arms. Like that's just that's fine. Yeah. Um. He he matches up a lot better at his position than Sam currently does. Mm-hmm. If Joey wasn't around, Sam would be playing Joey's spot. I don't I don't remember if this was you that mentioned this to me, but 
I remember there being some concern going into the Kansas game that you couldn't play the Housers as much together just because Kansas had so many elite wings that it could have proved um, or uh, posed some athleticism issues. I don't know if that's going to be a thing. Um, I don't know if the Big East is going to have teams with Kansas's athleticism at the top four positions that's going to pose problems like that. But it is something that I could see, like, potentially, um, if you have the two of them on the court at the same time, maybe that's a weaker defense, at least from an athletic standpoint. But it's not something I'm super concerned about because I don't remember. I remember thinking that that might be a problem going in, and then I don't remember it being a problem at all. So Sure. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll eat my words on that. Um, they both of them should be starting. Um, oh, 100%. Yeah, and right. the defenses looked fine with them, even yeah. against Kansas. Besides, I mean, obviously there was a 24-0 run, but besides, yeah. that was all on the offense, I think. Right, that, I mean... Yeah, that, that could have easily not been a 24-0 run had the offense just, been clicking. It wasn't... have anything. And Kansas was always going to get their points there. Like, um, I'm not concerned about it anymore. It's not, by any stretch of the imagination, a great defensive pairing. But it's not going to hinder Marquette like I thought it was going to. Yeah, I'll agree with you on that. Okay, Scar in a, um, four points, a, four almost five points a game, uh, three and a half rebounds. Nothing really of note besides that as far as counting stats, percentage stats. Um, caught thirty-five percent from the field. That is yeah awful. Um, we, what we saw from Sakar last year was what gave us so much hope, or I guess like the second half of last year, really, yeah. um, was what gave us hope that he was going to be our slasher and our, our guy to go to the rim. That probably was more of a product of how much space the opposing teams needed to give him for covering Rousey and Howard together, yeah. and Hauser. Um, I mean, yeah, he's 10 of 29 from two... For a whopping thirty-four point five percent from the uh, to inside the arc, he's three of eight from outside the arc. Um, yeah, I mean he's not it, like elite in drawing fouls. He's he's decent, um, he, but you know so he's only shot yeah six free throws this year. I mean we need him to get going. Yeah, it's 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 a it's been not fun to watch him play. Uh, so far this year, um, especially because we saw what he can do. And again, maybe it's a factor if he just had more space and opportunity when Rousey was out there. Um, but it's just been not... It, it's been really discouraging because he took such a large step forward after Hanif transferred. Um, but he's just not been good. I mean... God, 10 of 29 from yeah. inside the arc is so bad. And he's, especially for a guy who's supposed to be a good finisher at the rim. Yeah, and a bunch of his shots, even against low major competition, yeah. have just been ill-advised and yeah. not getting anywhere near to being... Like, there's one thing where sometimes your shots are just rolling off the rim. Mm-hmm. He's had a lot of shots that have just looked awful coming out of his hands well, and off the backboard. Like, just watching him play, he's always had an issue where his finishing touch just isn't as pure as a lot of the other players on the roster. But his sort of transition offense and his, um, you know, ability to finish at the rim has always been sort of something that he has brought to the roster that they haven't gotten from a lot of other places. And 
I mean, it's not there at all right now. He's back in the starting lineup um, because Jamal Cain got benched, which was another thing. Like, God, I don't know. Like, brief tangent. Like, I get that Jamal Cain may not be playing well. I don't know how I feel about just, like, discipline benching young yeah, guys. Yeah, nailing, nailing them. Yeah, unless it, unless it was, like, a discipline thing, in, that, in which case I completely withdraw and, like, say, no, Wojo knows best. But, God, I just, like, think... I don't know if I like that impact it would have on a guy, especially a guy on Jamal who's, like, right at the point of his career where he's kind of, like, probably going to decide whether he can have an impact for this team or not. And just, like, punish benching him because yeah. of him, he's playing sloppy. Um, if that's the only reason, I'm just not a fan of it. Um, anyway, brief tangent over. Uh, Sakarianum needs to play better, and this team needs him to play better. Yeah, and, I mean, we haven't seen the, the lockdown Sakar defender that we no i mean he's a good defender yeah. but it hasn't been anything that, like we need him to be yeah like again like he's the guy that they would put on romeo he's the guy that they will put on pawns and he's been fine ish but not good to the point where he you could feel confident being like all right he could take this guy out of a game yeah and he, he's not there yet and it'd be great if he could get there because they could really use a guy like that um the defense would start looking really good if they could have yeah, him no kidding that um, Joseph Chartuni uh, is up to 22 minutes a game. I would assume if we did this podcast about a week and a half ago, he would not be number five. Um, but he has really blossomed since the second half of Presbyterian, and I think that's probably the most relevant uh, section to talk about because that's kind of nicely divides it into sort of the two halves of the season so far. Like at halftime of Presbyterian is like the middle point of the season that's gone by so far, and. He's been fantastic since then. I well, mean, he still has too high of a turnover rate, right? Um, and I think that's okay, fantastic's an exaggeration. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that some of that's in transition problems for the team. Um, some of that's been him trying to force too many passes at times, um, especially because the looks he's like the, the the teams that we've been playing haven't had to respect his ability as much because he he had started slow, mm-hmm. or they haven't had to respect his scoring ability. Uh, I mean, he's actually shooting 7-13 from three, but most of that have come in the last couple games. Um, Is he really shooting 7-13 from three? Wow. Yeah. Um, so did he, like... Hold on, I just need to pull that up. Did he, like... Because he missed his first few, so he just must have started making them, and he's just yeah. like been really efficient with it. Yeah, yeah but, that's but what it the is. teams haven't had to respect him as a scorer, really. Mm-hmm. So that means they can take away all the passes, and he's still been trying to force it. I think my favorite Joseph Chartuni moment so far this season was last night when he chucked in that late shot clock like 30 footer shades of rousey that was awesome it's like oh my god this guy can like actually do that like if this guy can do that that's really encouraging yeah and um also he didn't score against louisville nope uh and didn't really do much against kansas yeah Yeah, he did uh, he had eight assists against kansas which is good but yeah um so the second half of the presbyterian game and last night um, were his two big big, big contri- contributions. He was the Ken Palm MVP last night for the first time um, and very much deserved it, although four turnovers is probably too high. But six assists, seven steals, and 13 points, including three sure. threes. Yeah. Like, that's the... If you lower that turnover rate, that is like the platonic ideal of Joseph Chartuni. For this team. And it's perfect. Yeah. It's exactly we what just need. If he shows up... Like that against good teams, yeah. this team is going to be infinitely better for it. Oh, absolutely. So I think that um, I'm excited for what he has shown he can do. I just need him to do it against competition that matters. Yep. 
Um, and but I think we feel night and day to where we would have said we felt about him two weeks ago, just because he has completely, not completely blossomed, but he's really started to show up in a big way, in a big helpful way for Marquette. Okay, Theo John, uh, seven points, four rebounds per game right now. Hell yes. Yeah, no, a big Theo John. Big, big Theo John fan. Um, Theo John, uh, pros and cons. Uh, pros, uh, two blocks a game, uh, 36th in the country in block rate. Beast. He's beast. Top 150 in offensive rebounders in the country right That's now. amazing. The, just like, so, again, I'll keep bringing this up, that on our sort of roster breakdown pod, um, it was before we knew that Matt Helt would sort of have a reduced role. We thought that Matt Helt would sort of be generally given the starting center yeah. job just based on tenure. Um, Theo John was a player I did not expect to sort of take over the starting lineup. Uh, the starting center spot until maybe conference play. Um, and that was only predicated on um, a certain amount of improvement. Um, so he's there. Yeah. He was there in the second game, but he's there. Um, and, you know, there have been ups and downs still. Um, still turns it over a bit too much in the post. Oh, definitely. And but, uh, I mean, this, that'll, this, that'll entire get better. Team, this entire team is turning it over too much. Right, but th- that'll get better. Yes. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You know, 60% from the field, basically. Good. Um, that little shimmy he does with his shoulder is borderline erotic. That's fantastic. He's he's just... He's, he's fantastic in the post. I just... Like, Theo is a player that... I just remember, like, saying, like, holy crap. Like, this is who we got the first time I saw him. Like, this guy could be amazing. And so anytime he sort of flashes that uh, brilliance, I'm just like... Yes, like this is exactly what Marquette needs. And so, I mean, he's had games where he's disappeared a little bit. Well, I'm going to knock him a little bit too. And I think that, um, not to beat on a Buzz Williams drum too much, like paint touches are important. Yes. But sometimes I feel like he's still trying to force too much in the like in the offensive paint. Sure. And I think that that's something that going forward, that's a coachable, that's a coachable aspect of this game where it's like, hey, you're doing well what right now what you could do is be just a bit smarter with when you're taking shots versus knowing that a second defender's coming and kick it back out yeah like if he just like tones down a little bit how much he's shooting mm-hmm. and say he's 23 or 39 from the floor right now mm-hmm. if he's taking you know maybe like a shot and a half less per game average the rest of the way that's probably perfect yeah and honestly a lot of it for me um it's continued development. Just give yeah. him more of those opportunities. Let him make those decisions more. Um, let him, you know, see how the game comes to him. Um, maybe my biggest negative with him is the fouls are kind of back for him. Um, like they, they didn't were really go away. They didn't really go yeah. away. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I guess what happened last year was it was more like he started off fouling a bunch, like, at an unsustainably brutal rate, and then he eventually sort of got it down to manageable. Um, they're kind of in between those two uh, extremes right now. Um, I mean, he's got at least four fouls in four, the last four games and the first game of the year, um, which is not super encouraging. Um, it's limited his, his foul trouble has limited his uh, minutes in a number of the games he's played so far. Um, uh, but 
I just think, obviously, he's the starting center for this team, and it's really just such a net positive that he's already there um, because any sort of uh, maybe decision-making issues he's ironing out right now instead of having him ironing it out on the fly in, in Biggie's play, which is awesome, and Theo John is a great asset for this team and one that they haven't had in a really long time. Yeah. Um, okay, Brennan Bailey's next. Um, Brennan Bailey, I would say if we did this podcast two days ago, we would have a lot different to say about Brendan because there are a couple of things last night where you're like, oh, Brendan Bailey, hello. Last night it was really where you saw the hype people saw in the preseason. It's, yeah. And it's like you watched him and you went, oh, wow, he is a good open shooter. Yeah. Oh, wow, he does move well on offense. I mean, he's oh, springy as hell. Yeah, that's the he other can, thing. He's an athlete. Like, you saw everything the hype was about, and then he flopped really hard, and you're like, oh my god, are you kidding me? Yeah. And then last night, you kind of started to see flashes of it. You're like, that's what he can actually do. And, and I know you didn't mean it like this, but yeah. flop feels harsh to me. I mean, well, like, he. F- flopped is in, like, you. Yeah. Brendan Bailey's starting. Brendan Bailey is, you know, right. all these, like,. You hear Rothstein talking about it. You hear all these college basketball yeah. pundits going like, Brandon Bailey's a hidden weapon for this team. And then he comes out and really no. flat. In there was no... Than, you know. He was not a weapon in any way for the first six games. And then exactly. last night, he came out and had easily his best game of the year. Oh, yeah. Um, just for context, he had 10 points last night and 12 in the season before that. Or in the... Excuse me. In the entire season up to that point. Um, and yeah, I, I just think... Last night, you kind of saw, like, oh, this is what Brendan Bailey can do for this team right now. Yep. Which is good, because it was like, okay, we have ten dudes in the rotation with Greg Hurt and Ike probably never playing. Um, and so it's like, okay, what can these guys do? And like you saw Brendan Bailey can be a guy that can finish in transition. Brendan Bailey can be a guy that can really... Uh, <laughs> Brendan Bailey dunks! I am so here Bren- for the Brendan Bailey Brendan dunks. Brendan Bailey dunks a lot. Uh, Brendan Bailey dunks well. He doesn't dunk a lot. He only had like two in that game. But Brendan Bailey can dunk. Brendan Bailey can you know make shots uh, when he's open. Um, and so yeah, and Brendan Bailey can play pretty good defense. I thought yeah. I was anecdotally just watching him last night. Um, was impressed with his defense. And I, so I think last night was really encouraging for him um, because his minutes, which were between fourteen and twenty-two for the first three games, had dipped to between eight and ten. Um, for the three games after that, but you saw him play a really quality 21 minutes last night. Um, So again, I think Brendan Bailey, um, maybe more than any player on the roster, is sort of a anything you get from him is gold. Because I think everyone else coming into the season, including Joey Hauser, you're like, okay, you are expecting things from him. Brendan, especially after those first, you know, five, six games, you're like, okay... This guy looks sort of fish out of water. If you can hit a three, it's fine. Yeah, but like anything you can get from him in sort of a rotation that is sort of semi-redundant of players of his you know size and athleticism sort of passed around in the rotation, you can do pretty much everything Brendan can do um, with uh, a combination of certain players. But if you can get something from him, it's really encouraging, and I think you're starting to get something from him. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Um, I think it's good that he's not starting. I don't know why that was the decision, but you know what? Whatever. It's in the past. It hasn't cost him anything. I'd rather have him. Value. Yes, I'd rather have him spark plug off the bench with what he did last night. Where, yeah, yeah he's going to maybe only average six or seven points a game. But if he can hit a big open three, if he yeah. can get a transition dunk, 
Um, you know, he's going to be way more valuable coming off the bench right now. Yep. And maybe he does evolve into a good perimeter defender and into a really good shooter and into a really good you know scorer where he does deserve a starting nod. But yeah. right now he doesn't, and that's fine. Because if he can do, replicate this performance from last night, then yeah. Like, he deserves 21 minutes a game if he can do that. It's really random, and I don't know if it'll play out like this, but if Brendan Bailey... Uh, can be a 24-year-old senior, I think that would be awesome for Marquette. Because he's a 20-year-old freshman, so, like, technically, like, if and if nothing changes, like, he'll be 24 and still playing college basketball, which, like, that would be really good, I think, like, to have down the road. Yeah. And also, another thing, Brendan Bailey doesn't have a turnover this season. Nope. That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know if how relevant it is after just seven games, but... Uh, you know, on a team that's turning the ball over like crazy, Brendan doesn't have one, which is weird because he's played enough minutes, even though his usage rate is small, he's played enough minutes to where you'd think, um, you know, he would have a high turnover rate. Speaking of someone whose turnover rate is too high, it's Jamal Cain. Um, Jamal Cain's probably, no, he's not the most disappointing player so far this season. That's the next guy on the list. Yeah, but Um, but I had, I was all over the Jamal Cain hype train this year. And, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he has been playing well. I don't know what he's done to deserve getting nailed to the bench by Wojo. Yeah, that was weird. But for those who didn't watch the game last night, he didn't play for the first 15 minutes. And yeah. it was like, and when he checked in, you were like, oh, God, he's got, he got benched because he hasn't played yet. And this yeah. will be the first time this has happened to him all year. Yeah, and I mean, like, he shot close to 50% from three last year. And he's now, I mean, again, small sample size, but he's 4 of 15. Um Nothing's going well for him. No, right he's now. He, he's only made one free throw out of the four attempted. Um, I mean, I guess the only positive number is that he's defensive rebounding. That, you know what? Really That's well. what he's doing well is he's he's got sort of that weak side rebound thing yeah. down really well. I mean, he had seven rebounds against Indiana. That's pretty solid. Yeah. But I mean, besides Sakar Anum, he has the lowest. Or and, and the next guy, Ed Morrow, who we'll talk about, he has the lowest offensive rating on the team. Um, and I mean, just. Brendan, especially last night, played better than him. The two Housers are deserving of the minutes they're getting. Sakar has been better, but yeah, and he's in he's yeah. in he's in danger of getting phased out right now. Yeah, and that's not a good thing because he is he's a really good player. He just this season right now to yeah. seven games in hasn't been the best for him. And his first couple games were actually fine. Yeah, it's just been really when they needed him to show up, he has completely flopped. He almost yeah. was in the the Trillion Club a couple games ago, if I remember correctly. Yeah, no, against uh, against Louisville he had um, yeah. he had two defensive rebounds and two turnovers. Those were his yeah. only stats in nine minutes. Um, yeah. yeah, and I think the 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 moment that sort of changed his season thus far um, was or moment game was going over five against Presbyterian um, because I think that that um, game was where they sort of had to panic and play a lineup that was working for them and he got phased out in that regard. Yeah. Um, and he's really kind of been phased out since. Um, but he's a player who, I mean, similar to Theo John, like I think you probably thought that. You know what I was hoping for with Theo John that sort of already happened could happen with Jamal Cain, um, and so he's a player that is um, again like Brennan Bailey, um, kind of replicated in a number of different facets by other players on the roster, and he's a player that is going to need to improve to be able to get minutes in important games. Yeah, 
Um, Ed Morrow? I mean, Ugh. you're so, there's, there's like, it, he's very frustrating. Yeah. I think that's the best way to say it. There are, there are points where I think Ed Morrow has been really helpful. Um, he's showed some things in the post that where if he can get a catch um, in a certain scenario, he's very nifty at finding a way to the, the, the rim where you're like, okay, that defender hasn't seen Ed Morrow before. Ed Morrow knows how to score on that defender. Yeah. Um, but there's just so much. And it, it, the astounding thing is he's only playing he's playing less than 11 minutes per game right now, which is... Not anywhere close to what we thought. No, like, I mean, he was supposed to be essentially the sixth man coming in. Now, again, there's a lot that we didn't know about this team uh, starting out. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a guy that has been probably the most disappointing player on the whole that we've seen so he far. He has the highest turnover rate on the team above Chartuni. Um, That's gross, yeah. by the way, how much he's turning it over. Yeah, he, I mean, he has the second best block percentage, but it's only 6.5%. Um, I mean, he's averaging, for 40 minutes, 8.5 fouls. Um, you, you yeah, know, I mean, I will say you saw the um, 8.5 fouls per 40 minutes? Oh, God, that's bad. Yeah, I guess he had, like, four yeah, fouls, fouls in 16 fouls minutes last night. Fouls per 40, according to Kempon. Yeah, no, that's right. No, I, kn- I knew that stat was yeah. right, but I just didn't think about it. Yeah, he had four fouls in nine minutes against to Kansas. To put it in perspective, that's the highest on the team, and the second highest is Theo John at 8.2. And we just talked about how Theo is still fouling yeah, way too much. you're right. Yeah, wow. Uh, that's that's yeah. not encouraging. And, I mean, like, a big thing, too, is that he doesn't... Like, the highest defensive rebound percentage on the team is Jamal Kane. The second highest is... Joey Hauser, um, yeah, Ed and was, was supposed to be a black yeah. hole of rebounds and yeah. is third on the team. Yeah. He's, I mean, Theo John has a much better offensive rebounding percentage and Jamal Kane has a better offensive rebounding percentage. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the things he was supposed to bring to this team haven't been brought yeah. yet. Um, what I will say is I really like him as a rotational piece in that when Theo is in foul trouble or tired, I like that there's a six seven dude that can guard bigs and jump yeah. on the bench to be able to throw in there. But also like there was there's something missing where it's like, okay, you were a two year player in the Big Ten and you sat out working on your game for all of last year. Like you're supposed to have some sort of experience and um, you're a leader on this yeah. Team. You're supposed to bring something that yeah. you haven't really. Sh- you said it, like he hasn't brought what he's supposed to bring. Um, and so that's been disappointing, but I also like him as a part of the team yeah. going forward just because, again, that sort of rotational piece is strong. Um, and you've got to figure, like he's shown flashes. I mean, was it against Louis? I mean, he blo- he had a big block at some point uh, that I was like, He's oh, had a couple. Awesome and like, yeah. He's honestly been... <coughs> he's been Besides fouling too much and not really rebounding up to the level we thought he would, he's mm-hmm. been fine defensively. Yeah. And he's definitely a presence, and, you know, he he deserves any minute, minutes he gets. It's just how much does he deserve? And yeah. right now he's not playing to the level this team would. You know, a lot of – we've said this about a lot of players, like Sakar and Jamal primarily, but – He's definitely not playing to the level this team needs him to play to. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a 12- to 14-minute rotational big right now, and ideally he'd be a 20-minute um, yeah. guy. But I also think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I, and I don't have any sort of backing for this, but I don't remember him ever playing 
the four at any point this year, right? Like he, he's has he been in there with Theo or Matt? No. I don't think so. No. So that's something that's interesting because I think we anticipated he might do a little bit of that, um, and he hasn't done it at all. No. So he's clearly um, a player that they're only comfortable playing as a five, which has I think also sort of limited his role a little sure. bit. Um, because I think we kind of looked at it as like, oh, you're six seven, so that's what you're gonna do. Yeah. Um, all right, last one on the list, our dearest milkman. Um, Which is good because we're starting to run out of time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we're probably going long here. Um, Matt, uh, I will be brief with Matt. Um, I think when Matt has played, um, Matt has been effective. Well, he is getting ten point three fouls per forty call on him, but okay, considering the minimal minutes he's getting. Um, small sample size. Come small on. sample size. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think Matt really helped against Kansas. Um, neither of the bigs were playing. Well, you know what? They didn't play terribly, but they were getting fouled. And they needed a body to throw out there that Matt could absorb fouls and still be somewhat effective. And I was impressed with him, Matt. Was able he to did get it. 12 minutes, had an offensive rating of 200 that game. Because he was one for one from the field. Damn right. I mean, he's attempted two shots all season, but yeah. he's but he's still got his vaunted uh, efficiency, yeah. uh, still hanging around. Um, but yeah, uh, Matt is a guy that is gonna do exactly what's asked of him, and it's gonna work out okay. And it's sad that he hasn't been asked to do more, but it is what it is. Yeah, and again, I think a lot of it's because, like we just said, Ed Morrow is only playing the five. So there's not that many five minutes to go around. I think Matt can help you in a pinch, and I think that that's been his most valuable contribution so far was when they needed him against Kansas to be a body because Kansas was physically bullying them. Yeah, and just getting them in foul trouble, and so it was really great that Matt was able to come in and help. Sure. I think um, a good point to make about that, too, is that, you know, we, we didn't really know where some of these players would fit in. Um, you know, so I thought Joey Hodge would be getting less minutes than he is. Um, you know, we all thought Brennan Bailey would be playing the three a little bit more than mm-hmm. he is. Um, and so we really didn't know if Wojo was going to have a lineup of, you know, your, your three bigger guys being Sam, Ed, Matt. And I think because of how Ed has played and because of how the rest of the team has played with, you know, Joey Hodge being so crucial... Um, to this team and Theo John emerging as the starting five, I think that's just sort of pigeonholed the fact that like Ed can't really play the four right now mm-hmm. because of how our lineup works like that. And you know Matt's not going to get minutes at the four, so I, it, he's been kind of. Oh God! You just got me thinking about Matt playing stretch four, and it and it made me happy. But you're right. There's been one more player that we thought would be taking minutes at a different position, taking the same minutes yeah. Matt would be getting. And I mean, argue Theo has definitely been better than Matt, yeah. and Ed doesn't hasn't really fit in at the the four, or we haven't been able to play Ed at the four. The problem with with Matt is every justification for him to play the role that he's playing right now is correct. Even though I'd like want him to play more, it's like I totally get it. It's just weird because it hasn't been a factor until this point in his entire career. He's always played more minutes than his talent yeah. um, indicated he would. And now that he's playing probably the appropriate amount, if not less, it's just alarming because it's like, wait, why isn't Matt playing? Yeah. But I do like him as this sort of um, 
emergency big slash pop the crowd whenever he checks in. I yeah. think that that's like a good value for him. Well, and also, again, we, we've also figured out that Joey Hauser is a small ball five works. And yeah. So, so yeah. We, there, there's just so many other players taking Matt's minutes that have been playing well to yeah. deserve those minutes that you can't, you, you don't want to see him phased out like that. Yeah. Because he's been such an integral part of, you know, this program's identity and like being a Wojo commit and like, you know, he's the first one to stay four years type of thing. Like, that's really big. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's nice to see when he does come in. But this this roster, not that it doesn't need him, but the, the roster, the way it's been right. working, doesn't need him more than he's been playing. Briefly to your point about Joey Hauser, um, Ken Palm has a tool where they show you the ten most frequent lineups over the past five games. Um, five of them have Theo at the five. Four of them have Joey Hauser at the five. Mm-hmm. So that's the small ball uh, five Joey Hauser coming into effect, and I think that's worked. Yeah. Um, do you want to give us your best two to three minutes on Kansas State before we close this up? Because I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the uh, upcoming the upcoming game, especially the uh, the uh, basketball stylings of one Dean Wade. Yeah. So uh, as a, a spoiler for my preview article for it. Dean Wade is a 6'10 power forward who leads Kansas State in points scored per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas State's returning an Elite 8 team. Um, basically, every major contributor from the Elite 8 team last year. Um, and they're a top, I think they're a top 20 defense or top 10 defense in Ten, Ken Pop. Five. Oh, they're five. Yeah, yikes. Yeah. Um, I just wrote that during lunch today. I should probably be better than that. But no, that's fine. Yeah, just like they're going to turn you over a lot. Their their turnover numbers are incredibly high. Yep. They're going to contest basically every shot you have from two. Mm-hmm. Um, their offense isn't amazing, but um, it's not bad. Um, and to be very honest, Dean Wade has been the the focal point of it so far for sure. Yeah. But he's certainly not the only player on that roster that can score. So, um, Barry Brown actually has a higher usage rate too. Yeah, Barry Brown is uh, is a player that is um, maybe hasn't been playing as well as his name would dictate. I mean, he's shooting terribly so far this year. Yeah, Kansas Um, State will not beat you from three. Yeah, which is nice. No, that's that's one of the things I really noticed when I first looked at it is they're sub three hundred shooting three, which is. Really well, and great. we we did get a bit too hyped about Indiana being mediocre the three, but this right. team is somehow well worse than this, Indiana. But is. yeah, and this team's got a larger sample size yeah. against. Again, that was the biggest thing that stood out to me. Subpar yeah. competition so far. Um, only one team um, that's ranked higher than a hundred in Ken Palm that they've played so far, and it's Mizzou, and they're ninety nine right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was ninety seven this morning. It's now ninety nine. So again, they haven't really played anybody. Um, that's very good. So that would be my biggest, um, you know, question mark going in. Yeah, that'd be my biggest point of optimism for yeah. Marquette from their matchup standpoint. Is while this is a really experienced team, they don't shoot well and they haven't really played anybody. So this is by far their biggest challenge on their schedule yeah. so far. And I, I mean, if Marquette has a better offensive game than they've been showing us this year. Mm-hmm. I think Marquette wins this because yeah. I think Marquette's defense will be fine against right. Kansas State's offense. Yeah, I, I mean Kansas State will get their points, and you know they'll 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 be fun. They'll be good on offense, yeah. but Marquette's defense has been a lot better. And I think that as long as Marquette's offense doesn't 
do all these bad things it's been doing. If this sure. is the the game where they really write the ship there, yeah, I think this is a very, I don't want to say very winnable game, but yeah. definitely a game that should be, it's well a, within winnable range. It's a nice game on the schedule because it probably looks a lot harder than it might be in yes. actuality because Kansas State is six and zero. Six and zero, and has um, they're tw- they're twelve from the nation in the AP poll right yeah, now. Yeah, they're really highly ranked and highly regarded, and they're super experienced. But it's also the most challenging game on their schedule yep. so far, so it's winnable in that regard. And uh, yeah, I guess for me, it's probably going to come down to turnovers, right? I mean, that's yeah. a defense that forces a lot of turnovers. We've been an offense that's been turning it over too much, and to succeed, we yeah. need to not do that. If we don't so. get eaten up by turnovers, we're fine. Now, there is one thing where we turn the ball over a lot against bad teams, but we only turn the ball over 10 times against Louisville. Okay. So, like, hopefully the offense plays a little bit more within itself, a little bit less, you know, psychopathic in terms of Mm -hmm. we have to get the ball down the court and immediately get shots up type of thing. Um, I think if they play, you know, contained offense and they play smart half-court offense, I think this is a game that Marquette should win. Yeah. Will. Yeah. Different. I was talking about this today, um, what the what the uh, likely uh, Vegas line will be, and I think it'll be very close to even. Yeah. Just because I think Kansas State's a little highly regarded, but it's a challenge for them, and Marquette will have the uh, the home court advantage. I think it'll end up being... And by the way, Ken Palm has it Marquette by one. Uh, Bartovic, when I checked this morning, had it Marquette by two. So yeah. I think it'll be a very close game. Um, and again, I agree. I think we both picked it as a Marquette win going into the season. And I think it's one of those games where it's there for Marquette. And if they win it, um, I think we feel very good about their standing um, heading into Big East play if they can win that. And then obviously the game that we will eventually start talking about at some yeah. point soon. But um, let's not look forward too much. Yeah, let's not uh, let's not uh, talk about he who must not be named before we before we have to. Yeah, um, that's gonna do it um, for us here. Uh, thanks, guys, for listening as always, and uh, check back in uh, next week when we talk about uh, what happened with this uh, difficult game and look forward to um, our favorite and least favorite game of the year.